What's up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing will the Green Bay Packers take a step back this year? Why you shouldn't sleep on Washington State football? How good will Ole Miss be this upcoming college football season? How good will the Los Angeles Chargers defense be this upcoming NFL season? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. Lastly, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. So it seems like every offseason we have to have this discussion because I saw Minnesota Vikings fans and Detroit Lions fans on Twitter a couple of days ago talking about how both of their teams have an opportunity to take the NFC North away from the Green Bay Packers. And of course, you have people saying that the Packers are going to take a step back with the loss of Devontae Adams trading him away to the Las Vegas Raiders. And once again, have to come on here and give Lions fans and Vikings fans a reality check. Now, here's the thing. People have to realize that as long as the bad man Aaron Rodgers remains in Green Bay, the Packers are pretty much going to be a favorite year in and year out to win this division. You look at Minnesota. Minnesota definitely is a team that has a possibility of being able to challenge Green Bay for the division. However, we don't know how good of a head coach Kevin O'Connell is. Minnesota does have question marks on the offensive line. And we also don't know how improved the defense is going to be in 2022. You look at the Detroit Lions, already got done doing a segment on them. They are a team that could be a borderline playoff team, but they still have a lot of ways to go until they're able to compete with the Packers for this division. Plus... Vegas doesn't think that Green Bay is going to take a step back. Their over-under win total for the Packers this season is at 11.5. In Vegas, I'm not saying that they're always correct, but they normally have a better reading on teams than what the average fan has. And even me, as somebody who follows the NFL, pays attention to every single team, Vegas has different data points. They get different analysis from different people in the industry. So they understand most of these teams better than some of the fans do. So if they have Green Bay at 11 and a half, I'm going to have to say that I trust Vegas with that point prediction. And I think the reason why Green Bay is still going to be a very good football team, even if they do take a step back offensively and they have struggles when it comes to the wideout position, you still have to look at the mere fact that this potentially could be the best defense that the Green Bay Packers have put on the field in well over a decade. The last time the Packers had a defense that was this good was probably the last time they won the Super Bowl back in 2010. And no team in this division has a defense that is as good as the one that Green Bay is going to put on the field this year. And you look at their schedule. Their schedule 
I don't think is all that difficult. As a matter of fact, I think you can say that Green Bay has one of the more easiest schedules in the NFL. Week one, you had on the road to Minnesota. Okay, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Minnesota take a game away from Green Bay this year. Then you have to play the Chicago Bears Sunday night on NBC. I don't know why on God's ever-loving earth. The Chicago Bears are getting primetime games still, despite the fact that they're going to be the worst team in the league. So you already have two wins there that you can chalk up against the Chicago Bears. So that's two wins there. You probably could split with Minnesota. So that's three wins. We're already at three wins already. Then you have to play New England. You got to play Tampa Bay on the road. That's going to be a pretty tough stretch there. But you do have to face the New York Giants and the New York Jets in back-to-back weeks. Then you face the Washington football team. Well, the Washington Commanders now. You go on the road to Buffalo. You play Detroit. I don't know if Detroit is going to be able to steal a game from Green Bay this year. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But I still love for Green Bay to mop the floor with Detroit. So with the fact that the Packers are already going to mop the floor with the Lions and the Chicago Bears, we're at four wins. Then you have three wins that you could probably chalk up against the Jets and the Giants there. So now you're at five wins. And then if you split with Minnesota... That's six. So then you kind of reach the meat and potatoes of your schedule in the month of November. Mid-November is where we start to see the contenders separate themselves from the pretenders. You have to go face Dallas, but you play them at home. You also have to play Tennessee, but you also do that at home. So those are games that could be pretty tough for Green Bay, but I expect them to at least win one of those matchups. So then you're at seven wins. Then you have to go on the road and play the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a really tough game. And I don't really know what to expect from Philadelphia. I still have a lot that I need to see out of Nick Sirianni in year two and Jalen Hurts. Because last year, the Eagles were 1-8 and against teams that had a record of 500 or above. And even though they did improve overall... I still have questions about their ability to make adjustments and how good Jalen Hurts can throw the football against good defenses. So I think that that definitely is a game that Green Bay has a pretty significant chance of being able to win. But that's a game that could go either way. Then you have to play the Bears again. Then you play the Rams, Dolphins, Vikings, and Lions to close out the year. So the schedule for Green Bay is not all that difficult. They don't have a pretty tough slate. They do face a couple of very good teams, such as the Bills. They're going to be in that conversation. Dallas, the Rams are also going to be pretty solid. But they also face plenty of near-level NFL teams this year, such as the Dolphins, the Vikings, you play them twice. We don't really know how good New England is going to be. We know that they're going to be okay, but we don't know if they're going to be able to replicate the season that they had last year. So overall for the Packers, for them to take a step back, they need to have so many things go wrong for them. First of all, you just have to have a complete disaster at wide receiver, which is going to be pretty hard because Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback that's so good that he elevates the wide receivers on his team. You currently have Alan Lazard, who is expected to be the wide receiver one on this team this year, who's holding out due to a contract dispute. 
Don't know why he's doing that. He doesn't really have that much leverage. Yes, he did have a pretty good year last year. and He could be in for a breakout season in 2022. However, with him not showing up in training camp, it definitely makes room for other Packers wide receivers to come up and take his spot. So with Aaron Rodgers being there at quarterback, you already have to look at Green Bay as a 7-6 win team. Then let alone you look at the fact that this division already has the Bears, which is automatic two wins, and then you have the Lions, which also could be automatic two wins, and this defense is going to be really good, so even if the offense does struggle at times, this defense is good enough to be able to pick up the slack, so I have a hard time seeing the Green Bay Packers taking a step back this year, everything just has to go completely wrong, the defense has to be dealing with a lot of injuries they have a really good front seven especially on that defensive line Rashawn Gary looks like he could end up being a all pro this year there's so many talented players on that Packers defense this season and overall this division I can't really see any team really keeping up with the Packers maybe Minnesota but there's still a lot that has to be decided when it comes to how their offensive line is going to play out and how their defense is going to play out so I don't see Green Bay taking a step back at all this year the Pac-12 is a conference that we have been talking about a lot over the last couple of days on the JT Sports Podcast and we're going to continue talking about teams inside of this conference because there are a good amount of teams in the Pac-12 that could surprise many people this year. I definitely think that the Pac-12 conference as a whole when it comes to football sense could have a resurgence in 2022 and let's talk about Washington State football. The Cougars and Pullman Washington. So Last year, they had a weird situation with their former head coach, Rolovich, who decided that he didn't want to go ahead and get that shot, and then he ended up getting fired because of it, because there was a mandate in the state of Washington that all employees had to be vaccinated, so he ended up getting fired because of it, and then... Jay Dickert, who was the defensive coordinator at the time, ended up becoming the interim head coach for the Cougs. And during his time as the interim head coach, he led them to a 3-2 and record to close out the season, including a 40-13 to win over the rival, Washington, to snap their seven-game losing streak against that school in the Apple Cup. So after the season, he was announced as the full-time head coach for the program, and now he's going into his first full-time season as the head coach of Washington State. He brings in offensive coordinator Eric Morris, who this past season spent time as the head coach for Incarnate World. He also has been part of the Washington State football program in the past. He spent time as a receivers coach under Mike Leach before he departed for Mississippi State. So when you look at Eric Morris and you look at Jake Dickert, it looks like they're going to be bringing back the air raid offense back to Pullman. And following Eric Morris from Incarnate World follows his star quarterback, Carmen Ward. Now, Cameron Ward, was a transfer from Incarnate World. He was one of the highest rated quarterbacks coming out of the transfer portal during this cycle. And when you look at Cameron Ward, this is somebody who is a physical freak. He's 6'3", 220, 225 pounds. He won the Jerry Rice Award his freshman season back in 2020, which is awarded to the best 
freshman player in the FCS for that season. Last year, he took Incarnate World all the way to the second round of the FCS playoffs last year. He threw for 4,000. 648 passing yards, 47 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, and he also completed 65.1% of his passes. And a large reason why I have my eyes on Washington State is because of Cameron Ward. Because not too many people know who this guy is and how good he actually is. But if you go and you watch his tape, this dude has a phenomenal arm. He can make throws from any platform. This is a NFL-level quarterback. And if he ends up putting it all together this year for Washington State, not only is this going to be a solid football team that could probably win six, seven games and exceed their win total of five and a half wins this year, according to Las Vegas. But this is also a player who has a high chance of becoming a first-round draft pick in next year's 2023 NFL Draft. And I have this theory. You might have heard it before, but I call it the superstar quarterback effect, right? So my theory is that I believe that if you have a phenomenal college quarterback that we believe to be a superstar, that as long as you give him an average team around him, he's good enough to win you six games, maybe seven. And I think Cameron Ward is that kind of quarterback. He's also a really good athlete. It won't be reflected if you go and you check his rushing stats because his rushing stats aren't all that great. But if you actually watch the games and you see him move, this dude has some wills. So I'm really excited about what Cameron Ward can do with Washington State. Now, the supporting cast around him, I'm not going to say it's bad. It's all right. It could be better. The wide receiver position, you have Deshaun or Deshaun Stribbling, you have Renard Bell at wide receiver. Stribbling had 44 receptions, 471 receiving yards, five touchdowns last season. Bell suffered a season-ending injury in the summer, so he wasn't able to play last year. But, however, the last time we saw him on the field when he was healthy during 2020, he had 33 receptions for 337 receiving yards and two touchdowns. You also have Lincoln Victor and Donovan Ollie. So, you do have some serviceable players at the wide receiver, and I think that Stribling does have the potential to elevate his game. And of course, with Cameron Ward there at quarterback, he should elevate the play of the wide receivers. And it's not as if Washington State had a bad quarterback situation last year. They had Jaden Delora, who ended up transferring during this offseason to Arizona. But I think that Cameron Ward definitely is an upgrade. And if he ends up playing up to the level that I think that he can, and he ends up playing up to being a first-round pick, there's no reason why Washington State shouldn't be able to exceed their win total expectations this year. The offensive line, it's kind of weird because they do have some returning starters who have some experience. They also added some key transfers from the transfer portal who should also start on this offensive line. But there are many players who are having their positions changed. They're kind of moving players around on the offensive line to get the best overall performance from this group. So you're going to have players who, although they had some experience, they're going to be playing completely different positions this year. So I don't know how that's going to work out. But with the air raid offense, you definitely are going to want to put a lot of emphasis on trying to get the ball out fast and whatnot. 
And I don't think that their offensive line is really going to be a problem until they start facing some of the better teams in the Pac-12. On the defensive side, they're, they were pretty solid last year. I think their defense definitely should remain pretty decent this year. They do have a decent amount of guys who return. And they also added a couple of players in the transfer portal, such as linebacker Dan Henley from Nevada. He had 94 tackles, four interceptions, and three fumble recoveries last year. Their pass rush on the defensive line should be pretty good. You return Ron Stone and Brandon Jackson. Both were tied for the team lead in sacks last year at five a piece cornerback is a position that I pretty much am in love with on this team Amarni Marsh had 70 tackles which was third on the team four pass deflections three interceptions and two fumble forced fumbles he's more of a slot corner I also like Derek Langford who is their outside corner he's also pretty solid as well they also have Jordan Lee who is another Nevada transfer 85 tackles three forced fumbles five fumble recoveries and pass deflections this man was all over the field for the Wolfpack last year you also have Sam Lockett the third who is a junior college transfer he helped lead his junior college team to a perfect undefeated season at 13 and no he had 38 tackles three interceptions three pass deflections as well so this is a Washington State team that if Cameron Ward plays really well and he ends up being as good as what I expect I think that this is a team that definitely could surprise many people they open the season up against Idaho which is a game that they should be able to win and win easily then you have to go on the road to Wisconsin that game is going to be 3 30 p.m eastern time on the Fox that's probably going to be a game that they most likely could lose because Wisconsin's defense should still be very phenomenal on top of that they should take a major step forward when it comes to their offensive productivity this year then you play Colorado State I think that's a winnable game so you go two and one there then this is where you start to enter conference play and this is where the meat and potatoes of Washington State schedule is going to be you play Oregon but you have them at home Oregon is still a really good team despite the fact that they lost Mario Cristobal he recruited at a really high level there in Oregon and I think that that Oregon football team is a team that not too many people are talking about so that's a game that probably could be a loss, but you do play Cal. You also play them at home. I think that's a pretty winnable game. You got to go on the road to USC. Depending on how well USC's defense looks this year, Washington State could have a chance because if USC's defense isn't all that great, they should be able to keep up with them offensively just because they have Cameron Ward. You go on the road to Arizona State. Now, Arizona State is a team that many people are overlooking. And they may end up being my biggest sleeper team in this conference because they have a lot of talent on the offensive line. Their defense also looks pretty good as well. Then you have to play Utah, but you're playing them at home coming off a of bye week. And then to close out your schedule, it gets pretty easier from there because then you have to play Stanford, Arizona State. Both of those two programs are projected with win totals of five and a half. Maybe Stanford could surprise some people. Then you have Arizona and Washington in the Apple Cup to close out the season. So this definitely is a team that could end up winning seven games, maybe eight. But really how well this team performs this year is solely going to be off the performance of quarterback Cameron Ward. If Cameron Ward ends up being as good as what he was at Incarnate World, wherever that's located at, 
I think that this is a team that's going to be able to over exceed their expectations. And I definitely think that if you are somebody who likes to bet on win totals or the over under, I definitely think that Washington State is a really good value pick. And it's really solely going to be off how much you trust Cameron Ward. I have a lot of faith in him. I think he's going to be really phenomenal this year. I think that he's going to set the college world on fire because you got to remember his head coach last year also comes to Washington State. So he isn't really learning a new offense. The terminology isn't going to be anything new. He's basically going to be able to pick up from where he left off last season. I think that was a big reason why he decided to transfer to Pullman because he probably could have transferred to a lot of other schools. He probably had some big offers from some P5 schools as well. So for him, I really think that he's going to be able to elevate this team. He reminds me similar of Vernon Adams, even though he's better than what Vernon Adams was. But for those of you guys who are diehard Pac-12 fans, you probably remember Vernon Adams when he lit up Oregon State a couple of years back when Oregon State was really good and they were ranked. Eastern Washington went absolutely berserker on Oregon State that year, led by Vernon Adams. He was one of the best players from the FCS during that time. I believe he plays in the CFL now. So, With him being better, he kind of reminds me a little bit of him, not really in terms of their skill set, but mainly because their stories, because they were both very productive players in the FCS. And Vernon Adams did have a pretty solid career at Oregon, despite the fact that it did take him a while to get things going. But when he got things figured out, he was really solid for the Ducks. Probably one of the better quarterbacks that Oregon has had over the last couple of years, minus Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota. So... I'm really looking forward to seeing what Cameron Ward does this year. I definitely think that this is somebody who has a high possibility of breaking out and putting up video game-like numbers. He's also going to be dynamic on the ground as well. He's probably going to have to carry this Washington State team on his back, even though he should have a pretty solid defense. I think that his supporting cast isn't going to be all that great. I don't have a lot of confidence in the running back, but this is an air raid offense, and even though they did say that they're going to run the ball a little bit more compared to what you would normally see from a team that runs the air raid style offense I still think that Ward is going to carry the bulk of the ground game and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up leading the team in rushing yards so I think now Washington State definitely is a team that you shouldn't overlook simply for the fact that they have this stud at quarterback and if he ends up playing phenomenally well this is definitely a team that could end up over exceeding the expectations this year The Ole Miss Rebels are coming off a pinnacle year, going into year three under Lane Kiffin. Last season, they went 10-3, losing to Baylor 21-7 in the Sugar Bowl. They went 6-2 in SEC play. And going into the 2022 college football season, how good is Ole Miss football going to be? Their over-under win total right now is at 7.5. This is a team that lost a lot of talent on the offensive side of the football. They lost their three best wide receivers in D'Artario, Drummond, Braylon Sanders, and they also lost Pearson as well. But they do have some pretty good talent 
that they're going to be replacing those guys with. You have Jonathan Mingo, who probably is their best returning receiver from last year. He had 22 catches for 346 receiving yards and three touchdowns. He probably could have put up even better numbers if he was able to stay healthy. I believe he only played half of the season due to injuries. And if he's able to stay fully healthy this year, he could end up being one of the better wide receivers in the SEC this season. You have Jalen Knox, who is a transfer from Missouri. He didn't play last year. He was forced to sit out. But over his career with Missouri, he caught 77 receptions for 1,031 receiving yards and four touchdowns. They also recently landed... UCF transfer wide receiver Jalen Robinson who was highly touted from the transfer portal at the time he had committed to Ole Miss a month ago he was the fourth ranked wide receiver out of the transfer portal he was limited in his production last year for UCF because of injuries he only had 18 receptions two touchdowns and 322 receiving yards but a year prior in 2020 he was one of the better players in the American Athletic Conference in 2020. 55 receptions for 979 receiving yards and six touchdowns. This guy is explosive wide receiver. He can make a lot of acrobatic catches. I think he's going to end up being a plug-and-play guy right away for Ole Miss, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up becoming the best wide receiver on this team. You also have Jordan Watkins, who transferred um, near the end of the season, I believe, out of well, he transferred from Louisiana. He had a pretty productive year for the Cardinals last year. So the wide receiving core, although they are losing a good amount of talent, you had guys who transferred out, some who departed for the NFL. I don't think that the wide receiver position should see a extreme drop-off in production. However, where could this offense be better at? They could be more efficient on third down because last year they only converted on third down 38.20% of the time, which was 74th in college football. And the red zone offense wasn't good neither. It was 104th in that department as well. So they have to get better in those areas. Also, we don't really know who's going to be the starting quarterback. So you got Jason Dart, transfer from USC, and we thought... Well, many of us thought, myself included, that this was just going to be his job and it wasn't really going to be any discussion about it. Well, according to a lot of people in the Ole Miss world who followed this program way more than I do, Jason Dart and Luke Altmaier right now are neck and neck when it comes to the quarterback competition. And right now, many fans are saying that Luke Altmaier has to edge he had a better spring a better spring game they said that the thing with Jackson Dart is the fact that Jackson Dart was a little bit too aggressive in a sense he was taking unnecessary risk he wasn't smart with the football however he was pushing the football downfield Meanwhile, you had Luke Altmaier, who was kind of taking the conservative approach, taking what the defense gives him, taking the checkdowns. However, he wasn't really pushing the football downfield as much as you would like him to. And in Lane Kiffin's offense, if you're going to find a great replacement for Matt Corral, you have to find a quarterback who's willing to take shots downfield or who's willing to push the issue sometimes. However, you also don't want to start a guy who's going to come in and be a turnover machine because the key to playing the quarterback position is being able to limit the amount of turnovers while also being able to throw the football at a really high level. So this is still going to be a quarterback competition that's going to come down to the wire. We're not going to get an answer who's going to be the full-time starting quarterback come 
week one pretty much it seems like but if Jackson Dart can end up figuring things out come fall camp I still expect him to get the starting job I think the thing with him is that Luke Altmaier already had a little bit of a leg up on him because he already was in the system, already was a little bit more familiar with the offense. And the thing with him is that it really has just been his aggressiveness trying to be a little bit more decisive when it comes to picking when to take risk and when not to take risk. So either way, I think that whoever starts, I think that there's going to be some struggles at times, and they may still end up rotating in these quarterbacks until they figure out who becomes that guy, but I'm still putting my money on Jackson Dart. I'm a little bit disappointed that we still have to wait for him to submit himself. Same thing with Jaden Daniels at LSU, but you got to remember, these quarterback competitions, sometimes these coaches know who the better guy is, but sometimes they'll hype up the lesser guy to make the projected starter perform a little bit better to be a little bit more motivated you look at running back you have useless bentley who is a transfer from smu really shifty had 96 carries for 610 rushing yards four touchdowns and average 7.4 yards per carry then you have running back zach evans from tcu I think that he's going to end up becoming the second best running back in the SEC this year behind Jameer Gibbs. I think he's going to be one of the more impactful transfers in college football this year. And I think that he's going to have a big role in this Ole Miss offense. And as long as he can stay healthy, he should put up some really great numbers. That really has been the downfall with Zach Evans. If you go back and you look at his time with the Horn Frogs at TCU, This is somebody who, remind you, was averaging seven yards per carry, not just last year, but his freshman year as well. So that pretty much means that every time he carried the football, he averaged the first down every two carries. That's phenomenal. So I also think that he's going to be heavily involved in the passing game because he has really good hands. And a lot of people have gave him Alvin Kamara comparisons, and I definitely understand those comparisons. I, I see it. I see the acceleration, the ability to change the corner without sacrificing speed. He also has pretty smooth hands as well. So hopefully he can stay healthy and we can see a little bit more of what he can do in the passing game. Then the offensive line, I don't think the offensive line is that big of a concern. They do have some pretty solid pieces there. They also brought in a couple of transfers there. So I think the offensive line should still be pretty decent. The defense, last year... Mixed reviews from people. Some people said it wasn't all that great. Some people said it was pretty solid. Me, I think that the defense was okay. The defense had a bend but don't break mentality. And when you have an offense that is as good as what Ole Miss had last year and you average a lot of plays on offense, that means that your defense is probably going to be on the field a lot more. So it's really kind of hard to judge how good a team like Ole Miss defense is going to be when their offense is kind of fast-paced and they do put the defense on the field a lot because they score so fast. But with the defense having a bend but don't break mentality, what I mean by that is that even though they gave up a lot of yards, they didn't give up a lot of points. And that held true because they were 94th in college football and yards per game allowed, but they were in the middle of the pack in the country when it came to points per game allowed, only a line 25.3. 
The biggest concern probably is going to be will the run defense improve because the run defense was at, was allowing almost 200 yards per game. So you bring in Central Michigan transfer Troy Brown. This is somebody who is really, really good. He is a three-time All-Mac player. Last year, he had a phenomenal season for the Chippewas. 65 tackles, six pass deflections, an interception, and a fumble recovery. He's definitely going to help out on improving that run defense this year. When it comes to your pass rush, Cedric Johnson is somebody who I think could end up having double-digit sacks this year. He had six and a half sacks last season. I really love their secondary. DeAndre Price had a really solid season for the Rebels last year. A.J. Finley was somebody who did it all for Ole Miss on defense. He was third on the team in tackles with 90. He also led the team in interceptions. He also had poor, He also had four pass breakups. So overall, when I'm looking at this Ole Miss team, I definitely think that they're not going to have the season that they had last year. I would be incredibly shocked if they ended up winning 10 games again this season I think that they're probably going to be around seven wins even though their first couple of games on the schedule are pretty easy they're pretty much as close as what you get to guaranteed victories you play Troy which you can't overlook Troy we already know what Troy does Troy I still think they should be able to handle business there. You play Central Arkansas. You got to go on the road and play Georgia Tech. I think they should win that game, but I definitely think that depending on the kind of Georgia Tech team that we get this year, it could be a game that could end up being a little bit of a dogfight for Ole Miss. And I'm not saying Georgia Tech is going to be great. I'm saying that Georgia Tech is kind of one of those teams that you have to give the boom or bust label. They're a team that they could end up booming and being a really good football team this year, or they could be a team that bust, end up firing Jordan or end up firing their head coach, and then having to make a lot of different changes on their coaching staff. So I don't really know what to think about Georgia Tech, but I think at the moment that probably would be a W. Three and no there. You play Tulsa. That should also be a pretty easy victory for you there. So you should go into your first conference game 4-0. Then you have to play Kentucky. Kentucky is supposed to be one of the best teams in the SEC this year, especially in the SEC East. Many people think that the second best team on that side of the conference is either going to come down to either Tennessee or Kentucky. However, Kentucky is also a team that is replacing a lot of production that left for the NFL last year. So they're still trying to get some pieces to come along there. I think that's a game that could go either way. You got to play Vanderbilt. So you have five wins there. Auburn is a really intriguing team because on paper, they don't look all that good. But when you play them on the field, this is a team that definitely is really solid when it comes to elevating their level of play in big games. They did it so many times last year, and it's happened so many times in the past. Going on the road to face LSU is probably going to be one of the biggest games this year for Ole Miss, in my opinion, because LSU is a team that you're going into year one under Brian Kelly. And you don't really know what to expect. Then, like Georgia Tech, I think that LSU is also a team that you can put in that boom or bust category because if they end up playing very well because they did hit the transfer portal really hard, same thing that Ole Miss did, and everybody ends up working out and the offensive line comes along, LSU could be one of the best teams in the SEC this year. However, they also could end up 
not being all that great and being an average team at best. So don't really know how that game goes. Then you have to go on the road again before your bye week, before you play Alabama. You have to face Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a team that has a lot of talent, especially on the defense side of the ball and up front. But I think that Ole Miss by this point should have their quarterback situation settled and everybody should start clicking at a pretty high level. So I think that this is where you're going to start seeing Ole Miss play some of their best football at this time of the season. You play Alabama, then you got to play on the road at Arkansas, Mississippi State. That is a really brutal last four games of the season. Especially when you have your last three coming off that bye, Alabama, on the road at Arkansas. And we all remember how that Arkansas game went last year. And then you got to play Mississippi State. I think that Mississippi State is probably a better team than Ole Miss this year. And the reason why I say that is because they have so much talent on the offensive line. Well, on the defensive line, their defensive line probably could be one of the top 10 best in college football this year. They have a lot of talent on defense. And also, their offensive line should be pretty good as well this year. The question with Mississippi State really comes down to how much are they going to get out of their wide receiver position. So, I think if you're looking at Ole Miss, I definitely think that this is a team that probably will win seven games. They're definitely going to take a step back. I would be shocked if this team ends up winning 10 games. Heck, even if they are able to win nine games, I would be kind of surprised. So my record prediction for Ole Miss is probably going to be seven games. I think they're going to have some games where they end up upsetting some teams, but they're also going to have a couple of losses against some of the better teams this year. I think Arkansas is going to be one of those teams, and I already said that I think Mississippi State could surprise a lot of people this year. So you guys let me know how you guys are feeling about Ole Miss football going into the 2022 college football season. If you're listening to this on YouTube, leave a comment down in the comment section down below. You know, last season, man, Brandon Staley, if you're watching this, you let me down. You really let me down because in your first year ever as a defensive coordinator for the L.A. Rams, you turned that defense from being middle of the pack to the best defense in the NFL in the span of one season. Then you go to the Chargers, and last year your defense just completely bombs. I was extremely disappointed with how the Chargers defense performed last season, and it was it was really astonishing. And there were many people saying, JT, why are you so surprised the defense is this bad? You didn't see this coming? Heck, no, I didn't see this coming. I'm pretty sure a lot of you Chargers fans watching this didn't expect the defense to be as bad as what it was last year. You were pretty much dead last in almost every statistical category possible. And it's not as if the Chargers defense had no talent at all. This was a defense that was pretty, pretty talented on paper going into the 2021 NFL season. But last year, you were 29th in points per game allowed. You had pretty much one of the worst run defenses in the NFL, like 138.9 rushing yards per game. Not only that, but you couldn't get off the field on third down, and you couldn't get stops in the red zone. So pretty much, this team, this defense couldn't get off the field. So no wonder this offense had to outscore everybody to win games. So going into this year... How improved is this Chargers defense going to be? Now, we got to start on the defensive line. Jerry Tillery is coming off the best season of his career. Four and a half sacks, 51 tackles. He was pretty solid when it came to getting after the quarterback. However, despite coming off his best season, 
his fifth-year option still got declined. And remind you that the Chargers general manager doesn't really decline fifth-year options all that often for his first his first round draft picks. So I th- I'm thinking that they're looking for more out of Jerry, Jerry Tillery when it comes to his improvement in the run game. And I think their general manager also came out and said that don't pay too much attention to the fifth-year option if he ends up having another good season when he's still productive getting after the quarterback, he'll probably end up getting an extension. But I think that they are expecting more out of him when it comes to what he brings to the run defense. And even then, you still would like his pass rushing production to improve as well. But you did sign defensive tackles, Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, which those are two really good run defenders who are going to help improve the interior of your defensive line. Then you also have a rookie out of UCLA named Otito Obonio. He was a fifth-round pick out of UCLA. He's 6'4", 324 pounds. He's really powerful, has good upside to become a really solid player, not only in the run game, but in the passing game as well. He's probably going to be used more as a run stopper in short yardage sets, heavy sets, when they're on the goal line or starting inches and everybody has their big boys and they're going 12, 13 personnel on the offensive end of things. And that's when you're going to bring in Obonia. So linebacker, it was kind of surprising that the Chargers didn't really do anything to improve the linebacker position. And then on top of that, you lost Kazir White. What's going on with Kenneth Murray? I mean... The dude was looking like Dorothy out there last season. He was just looking lost, and I'm not trying to call him out or anything. I'm just saying that I was really surprised at how he performed last year. According to Pro Football Focus, they said that he was one of the worst linebackers in the league. I really couldn't believe it. Now, Drew Tranquil is pretty solid. Then you bring in Troy Reader. So maybe Troy Reader gives Kenneth Murray some competition for that other inside linebacker spot, but I was kind of surprised at the performance that Kenneth Murray had last year. And maybe Brandon Staley doesn't really care about having great linebacker play because I believe during his time with the Rams, I don't think their linebackers were anything to write home about neither. So I'm guessing he really only cares about the talent on the defensive line and the back end of the secondary, which is the strength of this Chargers football team. The defensive line is solid. And your pass rush just got better because you already have Joey Bosa. We know what he brings to the table. Ten and a half sacks, seven forced fumbles, and five tackles for loss last year. But you also trade for Khalil Mack, which you pretty much stole from the Chicago Bears. He played in seven games last year and only had six sacks. Think about that. Six sacks in only seven games. Imagine if he would have played the whole entire season. He probably would have once again had double-digit sacks. So... You pair him up with Joey Bosa. This is one of the best pass rushing duos in the NFL. At cornerback, you have Asante Samuel Jr., who is coming off a pretty solid rookie year. I'm not going to say his rookie year was great because people look at the numbers, and he did have some pretty big moments. But overall, his rookie season was kind of up and down if you're looking at it from, you know, an unbiased standpoint. And somebody made a good point about him on Twitter. A lot of people kind of think that he's better than what he actually is because of his last name and who his dad was. When his dad played, his dad was one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL during the time. And I can kind of understand that. 
You know, Asante Samuel's rookie season wasn't as great as what some people make it out to be. There are people that make it seem like he had the best rookie season out of all of the rookie cornerbacks last year, and it's not really true. But his rookie season wasn't bad. It was it was solid. It had some ups. It had some downs. But you definitely like what you saw for him. 11 pass deflections and two picks. You have J.C. Jackson, who you paid the boatload of money to. You was bringing up the bricks, trucks to his house. One of the best cornerbacks in the NFL over the last couple of seasons. One of the more underrated cornerbacks also. Eight interceptions, 23 pass deflections. You bring in Bryce Callahan, who's going to be filling in that slot position at cornerback expectedly and then that safety you have Duran James who is the best safety in the NFL 118 tackles two sacks seven pat seven tackles for loss five pass deflections and had two interceptions and Azura Adderley is coming off a really productive season as well so this Chargers defense definitely should improve tremendously it should be a night and day difference there's no reason why this cannot be a top 10 defense this year and anything less than a top 10 defense, top 12 is as low as I'm willing to accept out of Brandon Staley. Listen, it's been a while since I gave this speech, but I'm going to give it again. If you are an offensive-minded coach and you specialize on the offensive side of the football, right? You become a head coach, the offense should not be the worst part of your team. If you are a defensive-minded coach like Brandon Staley and you specialize on the defense side of the football, right? The defense should never be the worst part of your team. And the defense should never be as bad as what it was last year. But, you know, apparently, according to many people out there, the system or the scheme that Brandon Staley loves to run on defense requires that he has elite-level players on the defensive line and on the back end of the secondary. So I can understand that because when you look back to his season as the defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams that year they had a lot of talented players on the defensive line they had a lot of talent on the back end of that secondary so I can understand I can understand it and it also makes sense why they went out and they got Khalil Mack and they also improved their interior of the defensive line because they want to be more stout in the run game so I think this is definitely a Chargers defense that should take tremendous steps this definitely is a team that should go from the worst defense to one of the worst to one of the best defenses in the NFL this season so let me know how you guys are feeling about the LA Chargers defense going into the upcoming 2022 NFL season and I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast make sure that you guys leave a five-star review you can check out the JT Sports Podcast on all podcasting platforms Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from the JT Sports Podcast is available and I will see you guys with another episode shortly